Welcome back to our second week in our series, Small Town Church. Now, if you weren't with us last week, uh, you did not get to hear about this new series that we are starting. But over the next five weeks, uh, we are partnering with Epiphany Station. And in the future, other churches that will be able to uh, join us as well. They, there was other churches who weren't able to necessarily pull off this series in this time that we're in. But um, the, the goal is for us as the church of Thief River Falls uh, to make a community of healthy, thriving churches that impacts not just our town, but the world around us and beyond. And so I want to uh, be very bold and say that I believe that a small town church doesn't have to be small. In fact, I believe that the church of the small town can be a powerful force that changes the world. And over the course of these five weeks, we're kind of uh, just banking on one particular passage in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. And now if you're reading in your your Bibles this morning, uh, we're reading from the message translation. So this is going to be a little different than maybe uh, what you have available. But if you have an, a, a downloadable uh, Bible, you probably can pull it up on there. But I will read it to you in any case. And Paul says to the the Ephesians... The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. I just want you to hear that. You belong here. Whatever church you have laid claim to as your family, as your church, you belong here. With as much right to the name as of Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and that and what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God. All of us built into it a temple in which God is quite at home. Now, Paul, I believe, is wonderfully illustrating that each of us, you and me, make up this church in our small town. Now, if you don't attend Nexus Church, whatever church that is that you're a part of, you make up that church. Each and every person is valuable. And the moment you've entered into the family of God, when you said yes to Jesus, you belong here. And if there's only one thing that you get out of the course of this five weeks, Here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear that your involvement in your church, in your church, is incredibly valuable. Together, with you, with each of us, this brick-by-brick brick thought that Paul brings up, each of us make our church family home. Not just to us, but to thousands of people outside of our church four walls. 
You see, the church isn't about a building. It's about the people. We've learned one thing from this this pandemic, as we're calling it, is that the church is not about a building. It's about the people that make up that church. It's you and I. Together, we make up Nexus Church or your home church. You are needed. And so last week... If you weren't with us, we briefly covered this. Um, there should have been probably a whole series centered around this. But the first week we just covered how you, when you enter into the family of God, when you say yes to Jesus, when you stepped across and you said, I once was living for myself, I am now living for Jesus, I'm part of the family of God, you did more than just make a one-time decision for Jesus You made a daily decision for Jesus where every morning you wake up and you're asking God, how can I partner with you today? It's a daily thing that you wake up doing. Am I going to live for myself in my selfish ways, what I want, or am I going to live for Jesus? Now, if we're all honest, that's probably the hardest week we could go through because it's all about us. It's all about my decisions. This is not easy. We all have as, as what, what the Bible calls a cross to carry. And really what that means is that we have struggles that each of us, we carry. I'm no different than you. We all have struggles. They're all hard for us to bear. And so each day we need the power of the Holy Spirit to fill us, to give us the ability to partner with God. So that was last week. And now this week, we're going to examine what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be the family of God? That's what the church is. The church is the family of God. And we just happen to to meet in different places all around our cities. We're all part of the family of God. We're all going to be worshiping together someday. If we call upon Jesus as our Savior, we're partnering with him in our lives. We're all part of the same family, but we just happen to, to meet in different locations where we worship. But what does it mean to be that family? And if you want to turn into your, into your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 2 in, in just a moment. If you want to flip to that, I'm actually going to be reading from uh, the New Living Translation today. It has a little bit better flow to it. And so if you're reading from a different version, it might be just a little bit different. But if you remember last week, I asked, this is actually two weeks ago that I asked on Facebook this question. But we talked about it last week. And, and I simply said this, this, this fascinating question is, what do you think of when you hear or read the phrase, Small town church. And I got some really good feedback. That was was very interesting, very fascinating. I love the honesty of some people that they had. But by and large, the, the number one response that we got had something to do with either home or intimate or family. That was the number one response I got back from all of Facebook world was this thought of we are a connected group, a safe place where we can all come together and worship God. We're, we're family. And there is something about a healthy church, which most small town churches are not all. And for those of you who haven't experienced this, um, I pray that you find a church like this. But but when we think of a healthy church, there's something about it that draws people in. It makes them feel like family. 
healthy churches draw people in. It, it, it's just this automatic, I, I feel like I'm supposed to be there. Now, conversely, there's something about an unhealthy church that repels them. Like the moment you walk into these churches, and maybe you've experienced this, you've been on vacation, or maybe you're new to a town and you go visiting churches, and there's some churches you just walk into, and it's an automatic, there's just like, mm, not going back there. Now, I hope that wasn't your experience at our church, but there are churches like that where you walk in and there's just something unhealthy about it where it's just not the place to go. And so today we want to discuss that. We want to talk about how can we create a church family that is healthy. Now, we're not expecting any church to be perfect. And sometimes, now this is for a a different day, but sometimes people have expectations of churches that are just ridiculous. That they're somehow supposed to be God and perfect in every single way. Like their music should be perfect. Everybody should say the right thing at the right time. They should never offend. They should, it should just be exactly what I want them to be. The problem is, is for as many people as in that church, is as many people have has a different idea of what perfect is supposed to be. And so it's impossible. There's never going to be a perfect church. But we are family. How can we be a healthy family? That is the goal of every church, whether you're in a small town or a big city. The goal is to be a healthy place where people can feel at home. And so this week I wanted some feedback again because I really enjoyed this this feedback that I get on Facebook. And so I asked everybody to share it, to comment, and to, to help me get an idea of what your thoughts are for what is healthy. What do you value most in, in a friendship, in a friendship, in a relationship, in a, in a family? What are some of the values that are prevalent in what you would consider a good family? And here's some of the comments that I got. Probably not going to be all that shocking to you. The very first one that we came across that was pretty common was this idea of loyalty or a commitment. There's something about a, a good friendship where you can just, there's that loyalty. You know that they're not going anywhere, that commitment. Another one. I kind of, I combined into one was an idea of being genuine. That person is genuine. You know that when you come across them, they are who they are. They're kind. That's the kind of person who has compassion. Who is caring, kind, genuine. They're just, they're, they're the real deal, if you will. A, th- a third one that we came across. Now, I really like this one because some people aren't willing to, to share this because it goes a little level deeper, and we'll talk about it in a great deal later. But it's that willingness to call out. The willingness to give effort where where sometimes things just aren't going right. And you're willing to go that extra mile for that person. That You're going to call them out. You're going to give the effort. And I like this one. This one was from our friend Ben Wattenfall. He said, attentive. I really thought that was insightful. A person who's attentive to see when things just aren't quite right. And we'll be there. Attentive. Another one was humor or silliness or encouragement. This idea of building up, of having a good time, of of being there and having fun. That one we'll talk about in a great deal later as well. Another one was adventurous. 
Now, this came from my buddy Tate at the gym. So, Tate, I don't know if you'll ever listen to this, but keep your ideas coming because I thought that was fantastic and it fits perfectly with who he is. But adventurous. Like, let's go and, and conquer the world. Let's go see something new. He values that in a person. He also values other things as well. But I really like that insight. He was the only one who gave that. Another one was connection. Maybe this is something for you that you really value in a friendship, that connection, that authenticity, that openness. There's, there's nothing there that you have to worry about. Everything's out on the table. They are who they are. This one, I think a lot of people, if they were honest, they would probably share this one too. But, you know, this is taking a little risk. But food. What do they value in friendship? Sitting around and having food. Now, now, let's think about this. You might be like, whatever, that's not a true friend. How many churches have food before service, after service? They have food for outreaches. Food is kind of like the big thing, right? I, I think there's something there. Now, some people replied back with like tacos. Um, other ones, I know um, Tina's relative, I don't remember who it was, but said just, just food in general, like just give me food, right? And um, and I know that this is going to uh, make Bob and Noreen very proud, but but her nephew uh, Grant Asp said taco sauce. Now I'm really re- really sure if it was mild or hot. He replied with both of them, but but shout out to Grant. You know, I mean you you are in the fire department, so maybe maybe it has something to do with putting out fires. I don't know, but um, I'm reading into that totally. But food, we all there's connection through food, right? And then lastly, and by far, this was probably in everybody's comment, but a few people, it was either trust or honesty. That one just kept coming up over and over and over. What do you value in a friendship? What do you value in a, in a family? What do you value in any relationship? Trust, honesty. So we'll be talking about all of these kind of combined into what I'm going to call four pillars of a healthy church. This is what we should be working on. Now, I realize that there's a lot more than just four pillars. There's a lot of aspects to church that make it healthy or not healthy. And I'm not here to argue which ones should be in there, which ones shouldn't. But I believe that the four we're going to talk about today are absolutely crucial. And it really shows up in all of these comments that we had over Facebook this week. Now, remember, be waiting because I'm going to be posting another one either today or tomorrow, a question that will be used in next week's sermon. And so uh, I encourage you, make sure you're looking and I'll be sharing so that we can get your thoughts so you can hear yours as well. And so what does this look like to be a healthy family? And so we're going to turn to the book of Acts. We're going to see the health of the early church. Now, the early church had just as many problems as we have today. Uh, All you have to do is read Paul's letters to all the churches that he wrote to, and you realize that there was a lot of messed up things going on. But at the core of who they were, we have some principles that we can take out of the first church that was formed on the day when God sent his Holy Spirit. And so Acts 2, 42, I'll let you get your finger back into where it was, and we'll begin reading. So Luke writes, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, 
including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold the property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So the very first thing that kind of bookends this passage is this thought around the very first pillar, and that was they were passionate about Jesus. They were passionate for Jesus. We read in 40, verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. And then verse 46 said, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared the meals with great joy and generosity. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Uh, first and foremost, none of those that you just read, all those values and qualities of a friendship or, or a family member did not say anything about a passion for Jesus. That's not what connected them. But I can guarantee you today, you take Jesus out of our church and there's no reason for our church to exist. Without Jesus, this place is gone and every church is gone. And you see that over and over when people lose that, that respect for the Bible, for God's word and for the, the central focus of Jesus, those churches are dying. They do not exist without Jesus. And, and that goes right back to Ephesians where Jesus is the cornerstone. He is that piece that everything is built on. And I'm going to say today with full confidence that a relationship with Jesus that we talked about last week is crucial for your involvement in the church. Now, I know the second thing you might be thinking, and this is the question that I have, and this is the problem I have with this passage, is they met daily. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't have, well, I kind of have a little bit more time in my life now than I had in the past, but I don't have a lot of time to meet every day in the morning and at night to connect with people in the church. Now, it is part of my job. I realize that. But at the same time, you don't have that opening. You can't wake up in the morning and after you get yourself showered and have your maybe coffee to get out the door, you don't have an hour to meet in the mornings and then follow it up after work for an hour. Our times are all different. We're all disconjointed. And that's part of the society we live in. It's not the way God meant it to be. This is the way it was meant to be. It was meant to be where we spent time together. Time together creates trust that we talked about. So how do we do this? What does this mean? Well, I believe there's obviously a principle here. Of course, we can't meet together now other than maybe through Zoom or uh, Facebook or calling we we can't just show up to church, right? Like we have this thing we call the government who's saying 10 or less. And if you are here, you have to be a part of the service, right? Like that is part of what's going on right now. We can't meet together. But someday you guys will be able to go back to work who are the essential workers. Someday you will go back to school 
And someday we will have activities in the school again where all of a sudden these kids have a million things going on and we will be busy again. How do we apply this as a principle? Well, I believe at the core of who we are as a follower of Christ is this desire to meet with fellow Christians. There is that, that, that desire for connection, that desire to be in the presence of those who build us up and encourage us and challenge us. There should be that desire, that passion, that longing that we come together, even if it is through a computer or a phone. So I believe the very first pillar of a healthy family member and a healthy church is that we we seek after God together. Pillar number one. Pillar number two, in this passage we see that they were radically generous. These people were radically generous. Not just financially, but with their life. Who they were, they were radically generous. Now in our survey, I believe this came across through the comments like people who are caring. I want to be around people who are caring. I want to be around people who are kind that are compassionate, that are loyal, that, that show effort, that are attentive to the needs that I have, that care about me. They're committed. They're willing to give themselves. In our passage today, we read in, in verses 44 and 45, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Now, again, we live in a a society in America where this makes this very difficult, right? We have become an individualistic society where we're, we're taking care of our own. I have a family to take care of. You have a family to take care of. We got to save for college. We, we have to save for a potential wedding someday. We, we have to save for retirement. We need to save for taxes and so on. Like, there's so much that is based upon our individuality. But I believe at, at the core of this is, is a passion to truly care for one another. And that is the core of what we're looking for. And, and this is what Jesus is teaching us in John 13, 34, where he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Like, take all this other stuff away. Of course, besides a love for God, right? But as I have loved you, you should love each other. I think you need to write that verse down. That's John 13, 34. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. That is God's command. That's not even a, that's not even a, like a, a suggestion. That's like, I'm expecting it. As I have loved you, you should love each other. Now, I cannot think of a a greater form of radical generosity than laying your life down for somebody else. Right? Like, that's all. That's everything you have right there. Jesus laid it down, and he's asking us to do the same. Now, I realize there's risk, right? This takes 
great risk. Because if you've been in the church long enough, you know very well that people take advantage of you. There's people all the time who walk through the doors, and the only reason they're walking through the doors is for their own needs to be met. Everyday churches around the world experience this. People are, are freeloaders, or whatever you want to call them, right? There are people in there for their own good, for their own reputation, to build themselves up so that they can look good or to get their needs met, whatever it might be. And so there is risk that will be taken. There are people that I'm sure maybe even you have connected through the church who you've opened up to, you've shared your life with, you've, you've, you've been vulnerable. And things happened. You got hurt. You took a risk and you got burned. And I've heard so many people and I've done research through, through my studies and I, I've come across so many stories of people who have been hurt deeply by somebody in the church. They're imperfect, just like you and I. But it still doesn't take away the fact that they hurt you. And when you are radically generous and you're caring for others deeply with everything you have inside of you, you will get hurt. And there's this thing called resiliency that each and every Christian must have. You must be willing to say, no matter what happens to me, I know Jesus laid his life out for me, and I have yet to have put myself on the cross and received the kind of beating he received, the mockery he received, the the rejection he received. And until I do, I'm going to continue to lay my life down knowing that my life is not my own. It was bought with a price, a price I can't repay. And so I believe that whatever you give to your church family or anybody else in your life, whatever you give, you will receive back. Maybe not in this life, but you'll get out of your life what you put into it. So a healthy family member is not only passionate for Jesus, but is also radically generous. The third pillar of a of a healthy family a healthy family member is that it that it cares about character now this one i realize is probably one that not everybody would put into the pillars and and maybe you'll even have different opinions upon this pillar that i'm going to talk about but in our our survey uh, some comments that i believe really point towards this caring about somebody else's character is is that attentive do you care about who i am what I am about, where I'm going, what I believe in. Do you care enough to actually listen to me and hear me and see me? It comes across in this, this willingness to actually call out. You see something that isn't lining up with God's word. Are you actually willing to step in and say, that's not right? It's, it's that, that giving effort. I really love that thought, that, that effort. That's all that was put in that quote. Or in that, that comment, effort. Will you care enough to give effort? Another one, maybe being loyal or the, of course, committed kind of fits all of the pillars, honestly. But it cares about character. But even more than those qualities, I believe that what's at at the base, at the foundation of this pillar is trust 
and honesty. Again, we came across this, this time and time again, more, more comments than all the other ones combined had trust and honesty in them somewhere. Trust and honesty. Let's think about this, right? When you are going to talk to somebody about things that they're struggling with? Are you going to come with them in the sense of I'm better than you and I'm going to tell you what to do? No, you have to have trust with that person. You have to have honesty with that person. There has to be that sense of care in there. We read this in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. You can write this down and go back later and kind of read all of Galatians 6. I was going to read it all, but I knew time was going to be an issue. So I just want to read the first two verses. Paul says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Care about somebody's character. Think about this. Care, trust, honesty, and time. These are all critical to build each other's character. I believe that more churches have been destroyed by this pillar than any single other one combined. What do I mean by this? Either... A church cares more about a person's feelings than their relationship. Or they care a lot about their relationship with God, but forget that they actually have feelings and that if you, you call them out with harshness and, and without understanding and love, they'll be rejected. And so a church, I'll give you an example, a, a church sees somebody who's, who's dealing with maybe, maybe it's an addiction, right? They, they've heard that this person has some kind of addiction, and so they've been notified, but they fear that if they, if they step out and they talk to this person about this issue, that they will run from the church and no longer attend and maybe walk away from the faith, and so they leave them alone in their sin. It destroys the person. And honestly, it destroys the effectiveness of the church because a lack of willingness to call out causes people to stumble and fall away from the faith. But likewise, we have on the flip side of the coin, somebody who, who's been told that, you know, they're having that addiction. And so this church comes out and just reams on that person and says, you should not be doing that. You know better than that. Stop what you're doing now or we're going to kick you out of the church. That has destroyed many followers of Christ and they never go back to a church again, ever. You have two sides. And what is the pattern God asks of us? Get to know a person. Spend time. Actually listen to them, right? It's that attentiveness. You listen. You give the effort of caring about who they are. And when you get to know who they are, then out of love, you tell them, Hear what, I hear what you said, but this is what God's word says. You can't keep living this way because if you're living out of disrespect for God, it will affect how he blesses you, the favor he has in your life. 
God doesn't set these, these standards for us to live a miserable life. He sets them so that we can have life and have life in abundance. Not just in heaven, but here on earth. So a healthy family member is passionate about Jesus, is radically generous, cares about character, and lastly, and I think this is a good one to end on, it speaks life. A healthy church speaks life, not negativity. Not the whole world is dying, and if, if you don't uh, change your ways, it's, no, this is life. Yeah, the world is, is full of evil. Yeah, the world is full of sin, but we have a Savior. We're going to speak life. Now, this comes out in our survey through things like adventure, humor, silliness, encouragement, food. It's all those things that build you up, that draw you in, that make you want to be a part of something that's alive. That is the church. And I believe it's, it's one that, that the church has to really focus hard on because it's the hardest one to do day after day in a world that's against us. But Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Now, this is a verse that many people use all the time to tell people, you got to go to church because the Bible says so, and here's the verse. And it says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us, here it is, not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. Now, here's what we do with this verse as we yell at people and say, you've got to go to church. You've got to go to church. But what is the church supposed to be? The first and the second or last part of this verse, we are to motivate one another, not beat each other up, motivate one another for acts of love and good works. And then lastly, we are to encourage one another. And that verse ends by saying, especially in the days that are approaching. Like, I think we could use a lot of encouragement in our world today. And it is supposed to come from the church. That's good. I hope on Facebook world we get some amens or hands raised or something. I don't know. It's a good thought. Now, I don't know about you, and I realize that everybody's in a different situation, but when I think about my church life, right, I, I, I did not grow up in the church. I was saved in the first church I went to. I went there for three years, a small country church in the middle of nowhere clear water, Minnesota. And when I was there, I'll never forget driving in every day, and there's a lot of old people there. And, and every time I come flying in with my car, I get greeted by the volunteer firefighter in our church. And he always said, how's it going, Speeding Gonzalez? Now, for those of you who don't know Speeding Gonzalez, it was just a cartoon. And, and all he was saying is, you know, how about you slow down a little bit? Uh, you're flying into the parking lot way too fast. I have a kid. Earth to teenage boy. Nope, didn't get it. I was a race car driver in my car. Maybe I still am. But the point was, is every time I came in, he greeted me with something fun, something joyous. He wasn't there telling me, you horrible person, act up, figure out how to drive like a normal human being. No, he was having fun with me. He brought joy into my life. And I haven't forgot it. That's 20 some odd years ago. And I still don't forget that. 
I also remember all the fun that we had playing football in the, in the church parking lot. And then especially, I'll never forget the halftime shows during the Super Bowl party when they kicked us out because of why they didn't want the teenagers watching the Super Bowl halftime show. Didn't get it. Had no clue. But we went out and we played football in the snow. And I'll never forget that. It was so much fun. And they twisted something that was negative to be good. Fast forward that 20 some odd years. And before we came up here, I'll never forget. Now, actually, this was like 10 years ago already. Wow, time flies. Yikes. And I'll never forget the first time I got up to preach at our church in Zimmerman. And the, the first thing my pastors did when I got down is they built me up and encouraged me. Now, I've went back many times. We didn't record our messages, thankfully, but I'll never forget how I felt so built up by them. And now when I look back at my sermon notes from that time and I read through them, I'm like, dude, that was the worst message. I can't even believe that the people stayed awake for it or even listened to it. It was that bad. But they built me up and they encouraged me. And I'll never forget that. There's a lot of bad things that happened in all three churches that we were a part of. I mean, I got called out plenty of times from a bad attitude. But what do I remember? The first thing I remember of all those churches is the good things that people said or things that we did. That is the power of a joyous church. That is the power of speaking life and believing in people. It changes everything about them. I would not be here today if it wasn't for my pastors in Zimmerman. I would not be here. I would not be here if it wasn't for my pastors in Foley. I would not be here. It's because they spoke life into a very immature, very arrogant young man. A very hurt person. I had a lot of deep things inside of them. They built me up. They believed in me. And I'm here today because of that. And I'm sure many people have that same story. Why? Because that church was built on the pillar of speaking life. And friends, when a church is filled with joy, when a church is filled with life, when a church is speaking out encouragement and motivating things to its people, the rest of the world will take notice. And pretty soon, you are the church filled because people over time will notice and will want to be a part. And so a healthy church, a healthy family member in a church is passionate about Jesus, is radically generous, cares about character, and speaks life. Now, I want to be the first one to tell you today that there is no perfect church. There's no perfect church. There's not a single church that will get even one of those pillars perfect. We're all in a process. You're not perfect. There's not a church that is perfect. We're all on a journey together where we are in this process of becoming a family of God. It doesn't happen overnight. Just like our, our, our main comments in this whole, whole question of what is a healthy, what is a family, what is a church, over and over, it's trust. It's home. It's a place where we can be ourselves, but growing into who Christ has called us to be. We're not going to be the same today as we were yesterday, 
and we sure better not be the same in a year or two years or three years from now. We should be growing, and we should be welcoming people who are in that same process and loving them and welcoming them and making them being a part. I think Nikki Gumbel, the, the creator of Alpha, said it best. He said, the church is not an organization you join. We're not a business. We're not, you know, some hockey club. We're not some book club. We're, we're not an organization. We're not a business. It says, it is a family where you belong. Going right back to Ephesians, you belong here. It is a family where you belong, a home where you are loved, and a hospital where you find healing. Let me read it to you one more time in its entirety. The church is not an organization you join. It's a family where you belong, a home where you are loved, and a hospital where you find healing. So we're all on a journey. Maybe for some of us today, God's going to ask you to fire up that passion for Jesus again. Get back to where you know it's supposed to be. Start caring about being with your family, the church, and growing in Christ. For some of you, maybe it's, I've always been stingy. Now, I'll be the first one to admit, I'm right there with you. Like, I got to grow in that. Become more radically generous because Christ gave his life and I am to do the same. To be radically generous. But don't beat yourself up. Don't think, oh man, I got to be like Jesus tomorrow. No. But that's something I want to work on. Right? For some of us, maybe it's, it's caring about the characters, the character of those around you and seeing somebody who needs to be loved and to, to be encouraged like maybe you or I was encouraged through life. And you want to come alongside them and help them develop their character. Or maybe you just need to get rid of that bad attitude and start speaking life and building others up. Wherever that is, here's what I want to tell you today. Your involvement with the church will determine how connected you are to your church and its family. You have got to put the effort in to get the effort in return from others. Don't look at the church and, tell, and say to yourself or others around you, oh, the church has let me down. The church has done this. The church, no, 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 no. Have you given yourself to the church? It's not the church as an organization. It's the family of God. Have you given yourself to the family of God? Don't look at it as an organization. Look at it as a family. Have you given yourself to it? And if you don't have a family, I encourage you to find one. Maybe you don't live in Thief River Falls. You can message and say, hey, I live over here in this town. Do you know any good churches there? I'd love to help you find a church where you can grow and give yourself and become part of the family of God. Because here's what I would want to keep hammering on you. Your involvement in your church is incredibly valuable. Together, we make the church our family and our home. And the rest of the world will come in and become part of our community. You matter. You belong here. Would you pray? Father, I I thank you for what you have, Father, for each and every person listening. Father, today I want them to understand that they are incredibly valuable in this 
thing we call the church, the family of God. There is no such thing as a small church in a town. 